Okay, we are live with JBC. JBC, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. How's it going? How's it going? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Okay, so let's. Um, this is kind of an interesting podcast. Most other people are just kind of explaining how they bet, um, how they do things. It's a little bit different than what the listeners are used to, or whatever. But this is actually quite a bit different. Um, so you actually are predominantly doing daily fantasy sports. Um, why don't you give us like your background, maybe how you got into betting or DFS or fantasy sports? Um, so, you know, like I imagine most people, uh, you know, was real into sports when I was little. And then in college, you know, you find a local and you start betting with them. And then after I graduated, I um, about six months afterward, this would have been in 2012, I just decided to take all of my money that I had and move to Las Vegas. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I, you know, I grinded out a living betting for four or five years and, um, mostly just, you know, picking off stale lines, you know, nickel and diming here and there. And, uh, you know, a couple of my friends that I met out there, um, they insisted to me that daily fantasy was a lot easier than betting. And, you know, over time I, you know, I listened to them more and more and got more and more into it. And then, um, I guess this was around 2016 or 2017 when when DraftKings and FanDuel decided, or when uh, the Nevada Gaming Commission decided that they wanted their cut of DFS and made it illegal in Nevada. I had to kind of make a choice between the two. And my wife had just had just graduated college, and we were my well, my then girlfriend, and she was moving up to Michigan. So I decided I was going to go all in with DFS and just move to Michigan and do that for majority of the time. Damn. Um, what, what do you, when you say like picking off stale lines and stuff, like how did that work when you were in Las Vegas? Like, were you yeah, I mean, literally you know, walking to the casino and like betting or how does the yes. actual betting work? Physically driving to the casino and betting on like, you know, whatever local casino out there wasn't moving fast enough, you know, compared to Pinnacle or wherever else, just going and physically betting it. Damn. That sounds, uh, sounds tough. Yeah, it was it was a grind for sure. But I, you know, I loved it. I was young, and, and you're in Vegas. You know, you're living it up. It was it was fun. So when you bet before you moved to Vegas, what were you mostly betting on? Was it the same sort of stuff, like trying to find bad um, lines and stuff, or were you trying to play some sport or, uh, or NFL? It was primarily NFL and college football. Just you know, buying stuff from touts, being an idiot. You know, normal stuff, the the stuff usual beginner betters do, but. You know, after a while, I kind of figured out what I was doing a little bit enough to enough to be confident enough to move out there. Gotcha. Um, okay. Um, and then when you moved to Michigan, were you doing all DFS then or were you still betting at all? You know, I was betting some on like, you know, nitrogen and through my, my business partners, locals and some other stuff like that. But it was like, you know, piddly shit, like nothing, not, not big money whatsoever. I was pouring... 95% of my time into DFS at that point, just trying to figure it out because I knew that it was going to be more viable for me in the short and medium term, at least. Yeah. Um, okay. So I guess maybe we we'll just talk about DFS then. Why don't you, um, why don't you explain kind of at a high level, like how the DFS market works or in maybe sense? Um, in the sense of, who are the participants in the pools? What types of offerings are there that you can bet into? What types of sports? And what are who are like the different um, professional players, I guess, in the market that you're aware of, or the fish in the market that you're trying to exploit? I guess what does the composition of everything look like? I would say that compared to what your average person thinks, there are a lot more fish in high stakes than you think, especially in big sports like football and basketball. You have your, you know, guys who are, you know, I guess have a lot of money through whatever means in their regular lives and toss crazy money into DFS the same way they do with regular gambling and to where it doesn't make sense. So, you know, your average makeup of a contest that's, you know, a $5,000 buy-in, uh, you know, unless it's a niche sport, like you're going to have like almost half fish, I feel like a lot of the time. How many people and, would be uh, in a typical 5,000 buy-in contest? Are these like, is it 10 people in the pool, 100 people, 1,000? How big can those, those high stakes ones get big? 
big. I mean, I've, I think I've seen them as large as like three or 400 people. Um, and then obviously you have your like world championship events that are a little, a little larger than that. But, you know, if it's like, say it's like golf, like a relatively niche sport, the, you know, the $5,300 stuff doesn't really get um, any bigger than 15, 10 or 15. And that's why it's primarily sharps that are playing it is because it's such a small pool. Gotcha. When they have these pools, so is there's the possibility for there to be more than 15 people in it? It's like kind of open-ended? No, uh, they don't do open-ended pools. Then, you know, they, or at least not for the guaranteed contests. You kind of yeah. just, it just has like a set amount and, you know, you can see the prizes ahead of time and then you enter it. And if it fills, then it goes through. Well, I guess if it's a guaranteed contest, then it automatically goes through. But they also offer cash games, obviously, which are also a set amount of people. But if they don't fill, then they won't go forward with it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like they will just refund you your money. Gotcha. Um, are FanDuel and DraftKings the only two sites that you use? They are. Um, okay. The other sites, um, I can't even think of any of the names off the top of my head. A lot of people play them, but because of my um, general strategy, which is more focused toward you know the giant contest, the ones with 10,000 or more people, um, those sites don't really have any appeal to me. Oh, they're, are those mostly like high stakes one-on-one or two-on-two or like small well, stuff? Even in the small stakes, the contests just aren't that big. Okay. You know, it, like I need them, like because of the way I play, I generally need the contest to be pretty large for my strategy to be effective. Yeah. I'm surprised that there isn't. What is the VIG like in the high stakes contests? So the higher it gets, the lower the VIG is. So for a contest that's like a $10,000 buy-in, the VIG would be about 5%, a little more. And when it's, five dollars it would be almost 15 or 16 percent okay so does that make those five dollar ones like impossible to win or are you still or the people are so stupid in them you can still be as profitable the latter i generally okay. think that the low stakes you it's it's worth the extra vig just due to the quantity of fish that are playing yeah so then most of these fish are just i guess random people who have a job and deposit on some dfs site and play it's the same thing as gambling or whatever somewhat a lot uh, some of them are like uh touts and stuff where they get their money through you know selling what they're doing and yet when they still have to actually play to kind of keep up appearances if that makes sense because you know if a tout isn't actually playing then the people aren't going to keep buying his shit so right okay um i guess okay then when it comes to setting the lineups, what is like your process? Do you have like a different process for every sport, I assume? Or when it comes to like coming up with your lineups or coming up with your strategy for picking your players, is that um, different every- sport to sport? Is that same? Does it not really matter? Like what are those sorts of things? Because that's, that's most of sports betting, but it seems like it's less than most of DFS. Right. Um, every sport is drastically different. Um, you know, some of the sports that are a little less predictable, like maybe we're with higher variants, like uh, golf or something, golf or baseball, you kind of don't lean, at least for me, you don't lean into your, your value stuff nearly as much. Like in basketball, I would be much more willing to go all in on a player than I would be in, you know, golf or UFC or anything like that. And what does um, all in on a player mean? Like every single dime that I have entered that night has that guy in the lineup. Okay. So some so okay, so when you're entering your lineups, the thing you're trying to pick is what percentage of the lineups a player is in. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. That's correct. So you come up with those numbers for everyone. And then is there a software that is public or do you have to make something in order to convert that to actually entering the lineups? Or can you just tell DraftKings like put the student seventy four percent of them? No. I uh so there are several tools that you can use. There's um, Fantasy Cruncher, Daily Roto, Fantasy Labs. You know, a lot of them, I would imagine that they make most of their money off of, like, their tout, their tout numbers, like what they're projecting for every player because people kind of want to be told what to do. But they all have tool sets in, to do that kind of thing. And I would say that Fantasy Cruncher is probably the best one, and most of the top guys use that. Okay, so that's not really like an edge. It's just like how it gets done and it's pretty easy and people buy fantasy crunchers or whatever to do it. Correct. Okay. Um, When it comes to choosing contests, how are you doing that? Is that like very, very 
is that a big part of the edge? Is that something that doesn't really matter? You're just entering everything you can, or you enter everything at a given dollar level or. Again, that's, I think that that's dependent on sport. Um, for instance, in, in basketball, I'm literally only playing GPPs, but any, anything that I can enter 150, the max is 150, anything that I can enter 150 times that has a, a top prize of at least five figures, I'm going to enter it. Okay. And anything else in basketball, I won't. But then in sports like golf and UFC, I'm much more willing to engage at the highest level because I think that the top end guys don't have nearly as much of an advantage in those sports as they do in basketball. So I think it's worth it to play them. Why is the advantage so much bigger in basketball? You know, I don't, I, I can't, I don't really know. It, it could be because the sport is so, is so predictable that when you're playing in a contest that's really expensive, you, you end up with, you know, where you're, you have an eight-person lineup on DraftKings and you're really only playing with two guys because everybody has the same six. That's a lot of it. And then I think the fact that it's just been around longer, I think that the market is a little more mature in how people know what they need to do as opposed to UFC and golf. I think a lot of the top-end guys in those sports, I would say that their strategies are not as optimal as they are in basketball, to put it lightly. So that would be the reasoning. Okay. So, but if, if basketball is like more predictable and everyone has the same players in their lineups, wouldn't you guys all just be like chopping the big? That's kind of how it goes in the cash games. And I, that's why I don't engage with it. And I only play the GPPs. And what is the difference between cash game and GPP? I'm a fantasy noob here. Okay. A cash game would be like, you're playing head to head and the winner gets all the money or you're like, it'll be like a field of a hundred and the top okay. 50 will all get paid. You know what I mean? Okay. So it's a, like a binary. You either lose it or you win some amount. Yeah, you'll it, it's in most it, most of them. It's either you win double or you lose, lose all. Okay, right. So you don't you do any of those. You only do GPPs, which are Correct. the opposite. Correct. Okay. I only play the stuff that's like mo- trying to moonshot high high uh, high wins. Okay. High so then, in terms of your PNL, is it like incredibly random, and you might go months without winning? Is it kind of like playing poker tournaments or something? That is kind of how it goes. Yeah. I okay. would say that that's very similar. So are there a lot of people who play cash game DFS, or does everyone kind of agree that these cash games are really, really hard and we're going to uh, go yeah. for the GPPs? I have friends who are pretty much deep into high-state cash games for, like, everything they do. So I think it's a okay. kind of... So it just kind of depends on your approach. Right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the approach you've taken makes sense for the way you're describing you come up with your numbers. Um, right. Whereas in the cash games, you'd probably need to have um, kind of more unique or more confidence in the in the lineup numbers or kind of your fair values or something. Right. Yeah. A lot of the guys who play the high stakes cash games, they are literally like, you know, if I'm risking thirty or forty thousand dollars on an, an event like a golf event or something, like I'm having like nine hundred to a thousand unique lineups, oh, like cross damn. contests, and they will literally just play like fifty grand on one lineup. Okay. And so, and so like they're. To me, their variance is going to be higher long term, but I don't know. Right. I would, I've never I've never played like that for high stakes, so I wouldn't I wouldn't know. So when you do a golf tournament and you have nine hundred unique lineups, how many mm-hmm. players are you taking more than in more than zero percent of your lineups? Um, for a golf tournament of like half the field, it's a little more than half the field generally. But okay. if it's a if you got like a like a WGC where it's like you know a seventy eight man field, I'll use basically everyone. Okay, so your lowest guy might just be two percent, and your highest right. guy will be a hundred. Will you have like you know ten guys who are a hundred, or is it golf, pretty rare to golf? Go I generally oh golf, golf you never go all in. Gotcha. Yeah, golf I generally will not go above mid thirties on a guy, just because it's so especially at the high end. It's so high. It's such. It's you know anybody can win in, the, in a given week among the top twenty. You know, where you really need to get a little more narrow is at the bottom. You don't want to be, you know, like last week, for instance, uh, in terms of below the, the average cost line, you know, the the people that the market kind of coalesced around were um, Daniel Berger, Ryan Palmer, and Harris English were the three people that I think people took the most. And you, you'll, I feel like it is advantageous to kind of lean into those guys a little bit. But then at the top, you don't want to be too heavy on Rory versus DeChambeau versus Justin Thomas because any of them could just surge to the top. 
Gotcha. And okay. they were all on the stick right at the end. So would you say that on those type of guys, are you trying to match the market on your ownership percentages on them? Or yes. do you have... Okay. So that's like kind of the key. If you don't really care about someone, just try and match the market and then go underweight and overweight various players that you kind of like. That's my general strategy, but a lot of people will just lean in and go all in on the guy. And I, I think my strategy might be rarer than the, the opposite. I think the opposite might be more common. Okay. To just hammer a guy. On the topic of edge, I have a question from previous guest Hagrin. Um, I don't really know what all these words mean, so I'm just going to read it verbatim. In okay. fixed salary contests, how exactly do you define your edge, and how does that change with contest types? With as much high-stakes information sharing that goes on, measuring DFS edge with no pricing changes seems problematic. Very, it's very difficult to measure the edge, and as far as I just he was talking about with the the information sharing at high stakes, I just avoid it. Like I just okay. don't even. I don't even like if I recognize somebody's name and I don't and I and I respect them as a player or on or if they're like a high ranked player, I'm just not going to play them. Like it doesn't seem like it makes sense to even fuck around with it. Right. Okay. Um. So why are people information sharing in DFS then? Is it just people got nothing to talk about, or they're just trying to get something out of the other one? Yeah, or people are friends with each other. Like I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I will like. Ex there are like one or two guys that I will ask questions back and forth with, just to kind of pick their brain and see if I'm missing something on a given day. But I don't really engage on a social level with a lot of people the same way that most of the industry does. If that makes sense, I kind okay. of, I kind of keep to myself a little bit. Gotcha. When you're in these big contests with um, a bunch of lineups, low dollar entries, bunch of hopeful fish in the field, are there people that like forget to submit a lineup or they only submit three guys or how much like legit dead money is in there? Or is it impossible to do that on DraftKings? Do they have some sort of customer protection? Like you can't forget to set your lineup or will automatically you, you, withdraw you or something. You can definitely forget to set your lineup. And I mean, I've only done it once or twice for where I've, you know, hunted a significant amount of money for getting it set it but you know it i would say it's you know it's a i would say every event it's at least one or two percent like i i don't i wouldn't be able to put a finger on the exact number and you can actually track that on DraftKings. you could like go through and look at it FanDuel you wouldn't be able to but um yeah i mean it's it's non-zero for sure yeah when you see like when you see someone in a contest let's say that first time you see them today, and then for the next week, you just kind of keep seeing the username pop up over and over, and you're kind of wondering if they're sharp or not. Is there a way that you can easily or difficultly see what percentage he's using on each player? Is it like you have to do that yourself, or is there a way that you can, that DraftKings will provide, like, hey, this guy entered 100 contests, and he used Daniel Berger in 25% of them, and Ryan Palmer in 18% or something. Is there a way to compare or do you, would you have to do that legwork yourself or is it um, impossible to even find that info? So both sides, if you are a player who has won a specific amount of money or a specific amount of contests, I can't remember exactly how many, there'll be like markers next to your name. Like I think on FanDuel, it's like a star, it's like a white star and then a blue star, the higher you get. And then on DraftKings, it's like a what is it that uh like a military guy would have uh, sh ah, shit i forget the word for it but like you know that's a general being one star two star three star four star five star you know on their chest it, okay. it's kind of like that on on DraftKings. but um in order to kind of reverse engineer how what their percentages are um you would kind of have to do that manually i know fantasy labs actually has a tool that does it for you um and they've got like it's like a thing that shows like it, it identifies like a bunch of top end players like ahead of time and like shows you what their percentages are in the contest that you're in and this and that and the other. But other than that, you kind of would have to do it yourself. And on FanDuel, you wouldn't be able to do it at all because you're not allowed to download the, uh, the CSV files for the, for the contest. Okay. Is this something you think people do? It sounds very useful to me, but it might just be too hard to get done. It, I, I do think people do it. Um, I think that it's more so, it's not necessarily to backtest what other people are doing. 
and more so just to check to make sure you're not way different than everybody else. Okay. So then how do you, yeah. Um, does it take, how do you determine how sharp your opponents are? It seems like it would take a really long time or a lot of work to have a clue. It seems like everyone would seem kind of close and it might be random enough that, so how do you, so what is, what are you using to determine like, oh, I think this guy's a fish in this high stakes contest or, oh, I think this guy is super sharp. You kind of just over time, you figure out who is and who's not. And from, you know, from asking people and. Okay, you know, so just kind of crowdsourcing over a very long time. So if someone right. comes up real quick and starts playing huge contests, no one really knows if they're good or not. It might take a while. I'm going to generally assume that it's somebody that got banned and is multi-accounting, if that's the case. Oh. <laughs> How, why would someone get banned? Uh, you know, for um, if you, uh, like what happened with um, the, two, the guy off The Bachelor and his girlfriend. Oh yeah, where happened. she won, but it seemed like he probably did the work. Right. And, gotcha. uh, you know, so he basically circumvented the, um, the limits for how many times you can enter a contest because it was basically rather than two files of 150, they basically made one file of 300 if you looked at how uniform everything was. Right. So why Which is there a 150 cap on how many entries? That seems weird. That actually happened before I started playing or right before, um, I, my assumption is that because the high-stakes guys were just jamming contests with, like, you know, 600, 700 entries, and people got frustrated because even though some of them might have been, you know, had a, a negative ROI on it, the uh, the market at large didn't like seeing the same people win everything. Oh, and DraftKings just kind of caved to the mob right. pressure. Yeah, similarly gotcha. to how DraftKings caved to the mob pressure with late swap in NBA a couple years ago, um, people got frustrated at getting zeros, even though you know your average player is much better off if if everything locked at seven o'clock. You know they didn't they didn't know what they didn't know, and so they pressured DraftKings to open it there to open back up late swap where you could change your players if the game started at ten thirty, but the contest locked at seven, you could still change that player at like eight o'clock. Oh. Wow. So, yeah, FanDuel, you still can't do it. But on DraftKings, you can now because they caved. Do people ever, like, spoof their lineups? Like, put out a fake lineup with a bunch of people starting at 1030 and then change it at 1015 to the right people at 1030? Um, it takes a very specific situation. If you, let's say you you have a lot of injuries late in the night and you think there's going to be a lot of high-value players playing at 9 and 1030 then you might intentionally just put a bunch of people in that are starting at 1030 so that you have some leeway later on. Okay. But that would be the only specific reason. Anything else, I, I don't think that there would be a reason to do it. When can your opponents in the pool see your lineup? Um, it depends on the sport. Basketball, it would be when the game starts. Um, whenever that specific game starts, they'll be able to see that specific player and his ownership. Oh, so you would just see empty if I had rostered all the late game players. You wouldn't Correct. know you would who I'd rostered, cool. just empty. So there would be no point. Okay. Um, interesting. How do you deal with like bankroll management with this? Is it mainly like I have an outlay I want to lay on the sport right now? You know, I'm looking to get down X dollars across something like 900 contests and let's just get it done. Or is it like I just need to max out everything because there's just not that much volume? Or do you ever get into situations like, oh, I have too much at risk right now? There's definitely sports where I have played it. Just let me max out as much volume as I possibly can. Um, the early, the early days of, uh, of golf and UFC, I was just trying to slam as much money as I could down on everything. But um, nowadays, it's more just I know what I have a positive expectation on, like contest to contest, and I'm going to enter those. And, you know, I, you know, if my bankroll were to shrink, I may cut some. But as it rises, I know that playing those super high stakes contests just to get extra volume isn't really going to be advantageous. So I won't, I won't do that. Okay. How many people do you think are like you making a living off of playing DFS in America? Are there like a hundred of you, a thousand, 10? I'd say it's less than a hundred. Okay. And between 50 and a hundred. And you probably know half of them or know of at least. I know of the majority of them, yeah, but I okay. probably know, in, like, as a, in, on a personal level, maybe three or four. Okay, gotcha. Um, and then, 
are there how big can the stakes get like what is the ma if you were if you had infinite bankroll and we're just looking to play literally as much as possible like how much can you get down how much like in an action in a day week year how much expected value could someone be looking to make if they were like maxing everything out you know i or it's just hard, hard to, to estimate okay um i'm kind of going off the same information there like i mean I know that Empire Maker has put some screenshots on Twitter of his action, some things, and you'll see that he gets down like four hundred thousand on like one event, right? You know, and but he, that would probably be specific to football that he would be able to get that much down on. Um, I mean, I can't speak for sure. I mean, people are probably playing off book and doing all kinds of stuff. Right. Um, I, I I can't imagine how much money people those people at the very tip top actually get down on a, on a yearly basis. It's gotta be just a crazy amount yeah so how many people like empire maker how many other guys are there like that that are just maxing out everything and every time you see a high stakes contest they're in it are there two uh, or three of them or 10 of them or most of the guys I that you're talking about those 50? okay so there's kind of a group of 50 to 100 that are making a living and then a group of five to ten that are like maxing everything and taking a ton of risk yeah, like you can tell that they just have an infant bankroll. And <laughs> they just enter everything. Like uh, Mach Lovin, you'll see him in literally every contest for every sport all the time. Everything he enters everything. It's it's I don't know. His role's got to be insane. So how how do you have an edge in all that stuff? Or do you think he doesn't? Or do you think it's so small he's just and has an infinite bankroll? Um, you know I don't really know because every sport that I engage with him in him with him in like when i play against him it's just you know he's he seems like he's always sharp like he's always he always really knows what he's doing so i mean i i can't speak to his internal numbers but i would imagine that he's got some kind of edge in everything yeah why don't we talk about a specific sport why don't you pick one of the sports that you do a lot and maybe i can ask questions about that specific sport okay which uh, sports are you doing right probably now? The, the best one and basketball being nba is there college yeah. basketball dfs there is but i don't play it and it's really small stakes Okay, so a typical NBA night, let's say there's like 10 games. Um, mm -hmm. You, How many contests will there be that you're looking to enter? Is it like that 900? Like you're looking to put in 900 unique lineups with all these guys? I guess there's, what, so, there's like 200 NBA players playing in that night or something. Mm -hmm. So you so, have to pick, you'll have some, is it kind of the same sort of ratios as golf where you'll be rostering 0% of them? half of them are going to get a zero and half of them are going to get at least 1% or is it much um, more narrow? It's, it's more narrow. Um, okay. And especially if you get a situation where like uh, a top guy will go out real late, then, you know, I'm willing to just go all in on a specific guy, which also obviously cuts down the percentages on everybody else. Um, you know, if right. Jimmy Butler decides he has the flu at 655, when it locks at seven, you know, you're just going to be jamming the heat guys and, you know, you, you're going to end up 60, 70% on like half their team and that will cut into everybody else. So for basketball specifically, um, it's definitely not as uh, diverse as golf, despite there being more players. In the high stakes NBA, will people ever miss that Jimmy Butler thing? Does that ever happen? It does. It does. It happens a lot more than you would think. It seems like it would happen a lot to the point where would it be possible to have an edge merely by monitoring and always being right about who's playing and who's not? Yes, 100%. I think that in the NBA, that is the most important thing. And if you sit there and stare at Twitter all night from 5 p.m. until the last game starts, you probably will have an edge long term. Gotcha. So it's if mainly like... Is there ever anything you're doing like, I think this guy's going to play less minute? Is that most of it? Like, because these are all just stats about how many points they get, right? That's how you mm -hmm. get points in DFS. Mm -hmm. So is it's it just like, you know, kind of projecting minutes versus the market? Correct. Minutes are the most important thing. It's kind of like touches in football where, you know, um, all that matters is, you know, your, your point per minute projection against how many minutes you think they're going to have. Right. Okay. So then in the NBA, let's say there's a typical night um, and they've got the 10 games and there's no Jimmy Butler crazy injuries. Are most of the contests with high stakes guys or mid stakes or low stakes, are they going to be very similar? The lineups are like 
they all going to have LeBron in them? Or is the pricing such that you don't all have the same players? Basketball, especially on FanDuel, a lot of times you're in the, in the cash games, you're gonna, you'll run into a 100-person contest where like 60 of the lineups are identical. Okay. Because so many people are just taking Daily Roto or whatever and just applying the optimal and playing it in cash. Like, I know there have been nights where you literally could not win in cash on FanDuel because <laughs> there were so many people with the same... Like, if the top 50 cash and 60 have the same lineup and that cash is like, you can't win. Right. <laughs> how um how do they determine ties? Like, do ties happen? They just split the prize between right. second and third? Right. So, okay. you know, you know if it's, uh, if it's 100K to first and 40 to second, two people tie, both of them get 70. Gotcha. Um, how many of the DFS guys who are making a living, do you think are also betting in sports betting markets? Or is there kind of no need? Would they only do it for fun? Or are there people that are augmenting one with the other, you think? I don't think that they're augmenting. I think they're just doing it because they like gambling, and I think they all lose at it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they all lose at which one? The DFS or the betting? That's <laughs> the betting. I think okay. the, the guys that win at DFS all lose at betting for the most part. <laughs> okay. Well, it seems like the guys that I know that win at betting also lose at DFS, but maybe that's not right. <laughs> Um, yeah, they seem just like totally different. They're yeah, so different, the approaches. Difference. It sounds so mm -hmm. silly that like just making sure everyone in your lineup is playing. But I mean, obviously that's important. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, uh, I, I will say that the biggest difference to me with betting and DFS is that DFS is on a schedule. So you're constantly like looking like that lock at 7 and then like the late contest, the lock at 10.30. It's like you know what time you need to be done by and how long your attention span needs to be for a given event. And with betting, you kind of have to be turned on all the time. It's like when I, when I lived in Vegas, I'd wake up in the morning and all I'd be looking at was, you know, sports options or whatever the hell, you know, just right. all the time. You're just, it's 20, it's a 24 hour a day job. Whereas DFS, I think you can, you can kind of condense it and have like way more of a normal life around it. Gotcha. So you just can, sense. you can kind of work around the lock. And yes. use that as your focal point of the day. Like I know for basketball, my average day, I'm going to be working from like two or three in the afternoon until 1030 at night. And I know exactly that that's going to be the time frame. Right. Um, do you also watch the NBA when you're betting DFS? Like, is that something you do to gain an edge or something you do for fun? Or does that even matter? I don't watch. Okay. Gotcha. So um, it's all it's just fun. It to me, it's too much stress. You know, uh, betting basketball is the same way to me, you know, because you're, you know, it's up and down. It's not like, you know, UFC, it's like you just one punch and they're out. And like, I can walk <laughs> UFC and bet on it. But basketball, it's like you're winning, you're losing, you're winning, you're losing. Your heart is just yo-yoing the whole time. And it's just not worth it to watch it for me, even though I love it. Yeah. How does fighting DFS work? Um, you get points for like significant strikes for takedowns. You know, uh, you get more points if you knock them out earlier in the fight, like that kind of thing. But like how many, I guess, what is the player pool? How many fights are there in a night? And aren't there two people in each fight? Will, right. will everyone so, just have the same lineup? Um, a lot of times. I mean, you get a lot of chops in it, but it's, it's fewer than you'd think. Um, you, you have, like, between 10 and 13 in a night, generally. And, um, you know, it's a team of six. And you generally don't want to stack two in the same fight other than the main event. And a lot of people like to double stack the main event in cash because you know that you're going to be guaranteed a little more points because it's five rounds instead of three rounds. So it's a higher, uh, higher ceiling. You mean but, that you take both players in the last yes. fight? Right. Okay. So I would say the majority of people in high stakes cash will play both players or both fighters in the main event every time. So when you're playing the GPPs for fighting, it seems like there'd be a drastically different strategy. Isn't correct. How uh, how many how many um, pools will there be in a night? Is it like fifty percent as many as NBA, or a quarter, or ten percent? I assume it's a lot less. I would say it's a quarter or less. Okay. Um, but yeah, for a GPP strategy for UFC, you you obviously aren't wanting to stack two people in the same fight because you want to maximize your ceiling. And uh, but a lot, what a lot of people will do is um, not have as much of a salary floor. So if like, you know, your max salary is 50000 Generally, for a UFC event, I might not be willing to go below 49700 in high stakes or 49600 But in a GPP, if you drop it to where you're allowing, like, a lineup of almost exclusively underdogs, those lineups can be a lot more unique 
and you won't end up chopping if you happen to spike on it, if that makes sense. Yeah. How has the DFS um, landscape changed in the last few months? Have there still been... Has fighting and golf now been the only things? Or was there something before that were like Korean baseball DFS? Is that a thing? Uh-huh. Uh, there was League of Legends hit first, and <laughs> the League of Legends contest got big. And there was, I, I actually spiked on one of them, having no idea what I was doing. But, uh, <laughs> Wait, so how did you, how did you, you must have had some idea, right? Oh, uh, like I was just taking like tout numbers and just like trying okay. to diversify as best I could, you gotcha. know? And, um, but Korean baseball got big there for a minute also. It's still going, I think, and where it's, like, you know, become, like, its own little niche sport. But, like, golf and UFC action now is just, like, fucking insane. It's, like, bigger than... It's, like, NFL big right now. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, interesting. Um, how much of a... I hear people all the time say, like, oh, you know, I, I should have gotten into DFS back in the day. Like, kind of how your friend said, oh, I think DFS is going to be easier. It seems mm-hmm. like so many people are like, oh, I wish I had gotten in back in the day. Mm-hmm. But from the sound, like, how much of an advantage do you think that was? If you started today, do you think you still would have been able to rise up? Um, now, if I started today, it had kind of already passed that point where the people that had no idea what they were doing were making money when I entered. Like, the people... The people that won in 2012 and 2013 were, by and large, just would not be able to. They would be so negative right now. They would lose all their money. Like, it just—it's just a different game. It's like they all just the first adopters got so lucky to make all that money. And, and what uh, were they making money from? Just like the stupidity of everyone in the contest. There was more of people playing Jimmy Butler when he got sick and stuff. Uh, yeah, and and I think that a lot of the uh, people that would have been super at the time that have entered later in the game um weren't were you know betting or doing poker or whatever else and didn't didn't realize the the cash cow that was just sitting there right and you know a lot of people i mean more power to them but a lot there's no way the majority of them would be able to win nowadays yeah do you still bet at all for yourself like do you ever have a significant amount of your money at risk on a bet rather than dfs or is it only degen or only for fun very rare. Okay. Like I will, if I see something, you know, or if, if I see something, or if I get a tip from somebody I respect, then I'll, I'll bet it. Or if I see like a really stale line or something. And, but I, I just don't spend enough of my time on it to like catch those kinds of things the way I used to, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah. no, nowadays I would say it's 95, five for DFS in DFS's favor. I just spend all my time on that. For NBA, for FanDuel and DraftKings, are the scoring systems different, or are they the same on each for all the sports? They're they're different for pretty much every sport. Um, FanDuel, especially a couple years ago, they enacted a change where rather than two points for a steal and two points for a block, they did, they're doing three points for a steal and three points for a block, which obviously causes defensive scoring to get really volatile. So FanDuel's been a little more variable than DraftKings has or DraftKings is since they implemented that change. But uh, I mean, other than that, um, DraftKings gives 1.25 for a rebound, I think, while FanDuel gives 1.2. And, you know, DraftKings, you get 0.5 if you make a three-pointer. FanDuel, you don't get anything. And there's just little quirks like that that make it a little different. Do they ever change the rules? Like, oh, besides that one, like ever more fundamental changes, like we're changing everything? Or is it just kind of tweaks here and there as people get pissed? It's tweaks here and there. I mean, the the big fundamental change was the late swap going away and then coming back on DraftKings. And then um, the other big difference between the sites is that the lineup structure. DraftKings, you have utility spots where you can play a player from any position at that spot. And then on FanDuel, it's literally two point guards, two shooting guards, two small forwards, two power forwards, and a center. So you don't really... you, You can't really... There's less variability in the lineup structure on FanDuel, even though the scoring causes a little more it to be a little more volatile. How difficult it is is it for you to separate the two sites? Because I assume you have to be like, I think Jimmy Butler is going to be in this many DraftKing lineups, but he's going to mm-hmm. be in this different number of FanDuel lineups, and those numbers they almost seem like two separate projections. Or are they? Not? Yeah, it's 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 wildly different. Um, yeah. So do you have to have like two separate everything like divided into two? Like on your computer, you have FanDuel stuff and DraftKings stuff. Correct. That's okay. right. So if they added like a third site, would that be hell for you? I mean, two sites sounds like 
twice the work. It sounds like quite a lot. <laughs> we, uh, I have one partner. We attempted to add uh, Yahoo, um, like when it first came out, but it's just it got to be basketball's already so much work when you're grinding the injuries and you can't like get up from your computer chair for hours on end, and it was just too much work, so we just gave up and decided not to do it. Gotcha. But yeah, if they had another site, it would be hell. Where do you see the future of VFS going? Is it just going to kind of be the same thing as it's been for the last few years? Or are there going to um, be more innovations or more fish or more high stakes stuff? Are sports betters going to start doing it? And there's going to be like nosebleed DFS if there isn't already? Um, my general thought process on DFS is that it's got a timer on it. And it only is as big as it is because of the, you know, the loopholes and everything that was going on five or six years ago. Um, I, like, I don't think that I'll be doing DFS more than eight or nine more years at the most. Like, I can't imagine it's going to last longer than that. Um, I, although I've, you know, I've talked to various people from DraftKings and FanDuel who are saying that their DFS growth is, it's plateaued, but it's not, it's not going down which I find hard to believe, but that's what they're saying. Um, but yeah, I don't have much confidence in the industry as a, on the whole. Well, why would it die? I mean, couldn't someone, couldn't there just be some new site that comes up later and it might be harder with lower VIG or something? Um, I think that people will go to betting. Like the fish will just put their money into the betting market rather than in DFS. That's my general thought. Yeah, Yeah. I think it's so, it just depends so much on the VIG. Like if someone was... Like if I was allowed to open a sports book in the United States and just started listing minus 105 on everything, mm -hmm. I would immediately see a bunch of business. I wonder right. if there like might be someone that does that in DFS, but it's impossible to get a license to do it. So <laughs> probably yeah, this, um, doesn't matter. There's, there's one DFS company that they like, I can't remember which one it might be fantasy draft or one of those where you pay like a monthly fee and then you can enter like as many, as much money as you want without any VIG. Like it's like some it's a it's a real novel business model. Like I can't remember exactly what it was, but all their contests don't have big, and you pay like a subscription fee. Hmm. Yeah, it so seems like they're. Kind of yeah, and people would say that with sports betting too. Like, oh, sports betting is going to be dead and stuff. But if minus one hundred five becomes the norm instead of minus one ten, then all of a sudden it's not. So I mean, yeah. it might never happen, especially because it's impossible to open a book. But right. um, at least that possibility exists. Yeah, I don't think sports betting is going anywhere, but DFS, I think, has got to. Yeah. yeah. So how would you know? Would it just be like every night you enter lineups, no one's really messing up, that it kind of all looks the same, we're all eating the fig, I'm going to get out of here? What would be like the writing on the wall for you? How would how would that, that get figured would out? It. That would definitely be it. If um, or if the contest got so small that, you know, my my tactics weren't effective anymore and my and you know, I was just eating money constantly, and I felt like I didn't even have a shot night to night. I, you know, you'd kind of be able to see the writing on the wall and figure it out. You know, the same way that people do with betting when they realize they don't have an edge anymore. You know, yeah, you just stop. Yeah. Okay, I've got a question from uh, Scoot here, previous podcast guest. We talked about this earlier, but maybe just in more detail, talk about how different people might be approaching this. How important is predicting ownership percentage and how do you best leverage that? It seems like predicting ownership percentages is kind of equally important across all sport GPPs. Is that correct? Um, I wouldn't say that. I think it's more important in basketball just because if... Because there's so if, much less variation. Okay. And people are more accurate. It's just if somebody's 60% in basketball and you don't at least match it, like you're going to get fucked. Right. Okay. But... In a sport like UFC or golf, you can just fade it and hope the guy sucks. I mean, like the the three guys last week that I mentioned, everybody had to have missed the cut and one on one the tournament. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> so, so it's, there's a lot of variance there. How right. do you how do you think most people approach most serious players approach projecting ownership percentages? Um, I think a lot of it is based on what the touts are putting out. Um, you'll kind of be able to see. Like and who are the main touts? Um, let's see. Fantasy Labs, Daily Roto, Fantasy Cruncher, um, Awesome O. Um, just off the top of my head, that's four of them. And the high stakes people in DFS are using these? I mean, it kind of sounds like you're saying 
the action network is influencing like high stakes sports betting. Well, I, Why, I honestly think that Osimo uses his own numbers, like the numbers that he's putting out to the public. He uses, and he's like one or two on Roto Grinders and makes money. So uh, you know, oh, I, I don't think there's any like you know. I'm not trying to sit here and shill for him, but right, <laughs> I like I don't I don't think he's trying to rip people off. So why does he sell the stuff and he also wins? I don't I, I don't understand it to be honest. It seems especially problematic in DFS. Yeah. I mean I don't I don't know that he has a super edge in every single sure. sport that he sells, he you know what I mean? Or something. Okay. But it's at least decent. Yeah, I mean I'm not gonna sit here and like talk about his abilities as a player, but I know he's better at certain sports than he is at others from my own experience and you know, uh, but I you know, I think he uses his own numbers, I really do. If you're doing a contest with say like four people or eight people or something, are you I mean, I assume it matters that it's them, right? You're not just thinking, I'm in a 10-person contest. What are no, people going to have yeah. percentages? You must be predicting, like, this is what he is going to have. If, if there's a 10-person contest and it's, you know, Chipotle and Osimo and Empire and all those, like, I'm not going to enter that. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's just that there's no way that that's a positive expectation. Like, I don't understand. They're all sitting there playing, you know... $10,000 three-man contest winner take all like one of them is constantly holding the bag and I and I don't know which one because I'm not in the contest with them but so, you know so, one of them's got to be getting killed gotcha. <laughs> for the for the other two to keep playing it you know I, I don't know yeah um so is your approach for ownership percentages would you say like quantitative automatic or more like just kind of adjusting some numbers from some baseline I generally, well, so my tactic, especially in basketball, I, I do aggregate a lot of the town sites to help my projection. It seems like I'll a decent with, starting point, you know. Right. So, like, I'll, you know, I, I'll take four or five of them, aggregate it, and then, like, I compare it to what I've got, and then, like, I'll adjust my own, my own projection and my ownership based on that. Um, I, you know, I, there's occasionally I'll tweak it a lot if I'm, like, way off on a guy, but most of the time you end up getting pretty close doing that. If you just aggregate everything, you end up, close to the market yeah um do you think there's guys that are doing it in like uh in very distinct ways from each other like is there some mclovin super phd he's like got some fancy program just it's automatically figuring everything out or is it much more like subjective would you say it's a lot more subjective i don't think that anybody is that automated gotcha all right, let's see what other questions we got here. Yeah, the ownership percentage thing is kind of interesting. Um, I, I, when the contest gets so big in, like, NBA and it's the same sort of players night after night, like, when it's the middle of the season in NBA and you're playing a contest with more than 500 people, I assume that the percentages are pretty easily predictable? Um, or no? Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously... Um... In the high stakes, you have fewer people in the contest, so it can be a little more volatile. Like a guy that if the guy's fifty percent in the GPP, the big GPP, he might be, he might every single person might have him in the high stakes contest. But, you know, it just it leans in all the high stakes contests do compared to the regular market is they lean into the sharper guys more. Yeah. Interesting. So. Okay. Let me. Um, hmm. What else we got here? What else should I ask about? Uh, what do you think we haven't talked about? What essential DFS stuff do you think um, there is that I haven't brought up? Oh, man, let's see. You've made it sound very easy. I'm sure you're going to get a bunch more fish. If Judging by our <laughs> podcast numbers, you might get uh, 10 new players. <laughs> well, I mean, here's that. If you, if you look at what I said, I mean, my uh, one of my buddies told me it was easy, and I started playing, and you know what? It's easy. <laughs> <laughs> do you think, like, how do you quantify how well you are running in these sorts of chunky payout streams like how can Um, you do you at the end of the year end of the week are you like i think i kind of ran 50 percentile or one percentile or is it too hard to tell or are there so many contests that the year pnl ends up being pretty constant um it it kind of does you know you you kind of obviously you'll have if you can get like a you know a quarter million or a million dollar win or something crazy then it'll be a little more volatile, but you know, for me, it's somebody who just, you know, I've never won more than a hundred thousand dollars, but I've won a hundred thousand dollars about 25 times, you know? (laughs) And, and it's like, so mine has been pretty constant over time. You still, you obviously do still have big swings. It's like, you know, I've had months where I've won three of them and then I'll go four months without winning anything. 
And, um, yeah, so, I mean, it, it does get to be pretty constant over a period of time, but ultimately, you know, it's it's still volatile. Is there, like, some sort of rakeback equivalent or rewards? Is there some way where a player could maybe be, like, breaking even slash slightly losing in contests but making it up from DraftKings to where they can still make a living off of it? Or is that not it, possible? It, it definitely used to be. Before, like, before 2015, I, I would say that a lot of, the high stakes players had gotten so many people signed up through referrals that they were basically making a living off of that. But DraftKings and FanDuel kind of nipped that in the butt a little bit where you can't, I think there's a cap on it where there used to not be or something along those lines. So you used to be able to get unlimited referral money. Like if you referred me and I played for the rest of my life, you got paid the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like there were definitely. Seems like an issue with the business. (laughs) Yeah. Especially because you had sites like Roto Grinders where you're like signing up through their login and like how much money are they raking in off of that? You know, it's like, I I don't know. It used to be crazy, but that was all right before I got in. When you think about new sports you might do or in the past when you've done a new sport or thought about doing a new sport, what's the learning curve like? Is it hard? Is it easy? Is it mostly just figuring up? figuring out how to keep up with the news because you're getting the kind of fares from some other sources and aggregating them and it's more so ownership stuff or does it take a really long time and it's different kind of models for each one and different approaches for each sport? I think the fact that there are so many talents that kind of have an idea of what they're doing that the market sharpens up pretty quickly and people kind of figure it out. I know for for League of Legends when it first took off, um, you know, I felt like I had an edge for about two weeks and I was winning and then when Osimo started really like pushing the tout buttons and advertising it and giving everybody his numbers and explaining strategy and all that like the market sharpened up real fast to where I thought the game was solved within a month to where like you know you can't beat the vig in it like so I mean it, it happens relative it, in the past I think it took a while but nowadays I think it happens very quick yeah um does the pricing ever change for these contests? Like, will DraftKings or FanDuel randomize it at all to, like, make there be some more strategy? Or is LeBron James, you know, the same price-ish every night and whatever the other players are are also, like, kind of the same prices? Are the consistent prices from player to player, game to game? Uh, they change pretty wildly. You know, if James Harden drops 60, they'll jack him up a good amount to try and get less people to take him because so many fish will just see that a guy did well the previous game and take him again and then you know obviously if um if james harden's playing the hawks versus playing you know the jazz or something you know his price will be wildly different because of the you know projected uh, amount of points that his team's going to score being so different but DraftKings but, is but when they put out the price they're trying to put out what they think is a quote fair price or do they ever just kind of like randomize stuff to fuck with people I think that they're trying to put out a fair price, but sometimes okay. it does seem like they'll just get like when Giannis first started going off a few years ago, or actually a more recent example would have been Siakam last season or whenever the year that he really broke out was it's um, you know, it's like in, in December he was costing like 4,500 on FanDuel or something. And it was like, just like drag level, like, and within like a month he was costing like near the max. And, you know, so they'll adjust pretty quickly and be, and they'll be willing to just go with their, rather than it being statistical, they'll just seemingly set it at a number that's really high that they think people are going to take still, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I feel like I've done DraftKings maybe a couple times where I thought I saw something really weird, or maybe I saw a tweet where people were like, why is this person a middle salary or something? Mm-hmm. But I didn't know if, because that seems like it could be interesting on their part to like, kind of mess with the salaries every once in a while. Because um, I guess it doesn't, the salaries are kind of irrelevant, right? Like, you know, it changes uh, the problem. I, it might make your approach from last week not work, but, like, you can still find edge in the same way. Correct, but if the salaries are too bad, to, for lack of a better word, then... It might just be obvious, up. and everyone will have the same lineup. Correct. And then nobody, because, you know, if DraftKings is putting out a million dollars first, they don't want to chop. You know what I mean? They want to be okay. like, hey, look at this rando fuck that won a million dollars. Right, that's you like know, their that's marketing the strategy. Okay. They don't want shops, so they're looking to make it as accurate as possible. That's kind of amazing there even are shops, because aren't there like half points and quarter points? Or what's the, there's decimals, right? Right. Uh, but, but I guess know, there's so I mean, many people in a contest, they could, yeah. 
if you have the same lineup as some, uh, it's For generally sure, yeah. people with the exact same. Lineup. Oh, so they just have the exact same lineup, okay. right? Yeah, I guess in especially the in sports, sports like MMA. Yeah, in MMA. For sure. Yeah. How long has MMA DFS been around? How long have you been doing it for? So I remember my friend that got me into, into DFS, he had, DraftKings had given him a, 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 some free tickets to the Anderson Silva, Nick Diaz fight. And because they were starting up MMA DFS and that would have been in the beginning of 2015. So it's been around five years now. Okay. And was it at the beginning, like are things the Wild West at the beginning and then they kind of settle into place? Or is it now so mature that things just happen quickly because there's enough people like you that will figure it out within a week or whatever? Yeah, like in the beginning for uh, for UFC DFS, I was literally just taking the money lines and applying it to the salary and just getting, a, you know, calculating value from that and just destroying everyone. <laughs> so and that doesn't that sort of thing probably bit. doesn't work anymore though <laughs> yeah no so so it's evolved a little bit from that yeah <laughs> do you ever see um do you ever see like percentages from people or people in lineups from dfs players that you respect that make you be like what is going on here like let me think about how i can change stuff or is the way that you're approaching things kind of like you've got it on lock there's not really a much feedback that's changing stuff um i the latter i i i'm i'd say my biggest strength as a player is being able to write out the losses and just keep and stay the course and realize that i'm i have an edge and just maintain it rather than you know try and panic changing anything but you know there are a couple people where if they were to tell me something that i would listen but there aren't very many or that hasn't really ever happened right um when NFL and NBA come back, or I guess when NBA comes back, will that be, do you think you'll have to change things a lot based on whatever the situation is, where they're playing the games, how things like, how it unfolds, will that have a big impact, do you think? Or will this be mostly like a regular NBA season or who knows? I think that the regular season is going to be a giant clusterfuck because if there's no home field advantage because they're all playing in the same place. There's no motivation to play for higher seating. So those eight or nine regular season games, if you're the Lakers, why the fuck would LeBron play more than 20 minutes? You know, and so trying to project that for DFS is going to be hell. And I think that you're going to get a lot of people that lose their ass and a lot of people that win a lot of money in that short time frame. Yeah, it seems like you'd have to adapt your stuff. Because Otherwise, the contest might be is going to be huge. Right. So I guess we'll see. Yeah. Which is the sport? Do you like any of the sports better than the others? Like setting lineups or following it? Like the, the grind of DFSing some sport? Are there some that are better than others? Or are they all mostly the same? Do they blend together because you're doing them all at the same time? Basketball is work. Like I really do not like doing... Like basketball is my most profitable sport. And I love that it's made me a lot of money. But I fucking hate doing it. Because you just... You can't... Like, you know, as I said earlier, you can't get up out of your chair. You can't have a normal social life at night because you're seven days a week you're locked up all night and right. you know <laughs> the, the sport that i would say that i i like playing would be ufc i was not into ufc at all and didn't know shit about it before that started being dfs and now i watch every event religiously and i just i really enjoy watching it and so i would say that yeah ufc is pretty great to to grind it out why is nba all night long like once the lineups lock couldn't you go drafting has the late the late swap but I mean, after ten thirty, or you're just saying like whatever. It's the end of the ten thirty. Right. So well, yeah, because at yeah, ten thirty, your night's already done. You're, right. You know, for the most part. Okay. So, so mm-hmm. when you're working from, you say your day usually starts at two or something. What mm-hmm. is most of what's happening from two to seven? Is it like coming up uh, with how many minutes you think they're going to play, adjusting your fares, adjusting your ownership percentage, just following the news, seeing if anything's changing? Like, what is the, what is what is most of the stuff you're doing? From two to five, it's primarily just checking, you know, checking all the tout sites and checking all, uh, you know, the, the beat right, the NBA beat writers on Twitter to see like whether or not a guy may or may not play if somebody's listed questionable. But the beat writer sounds like he's kind of more doubtful. You know, you can kind of tell by the tone they're using in the wording, and you, so that's from two to five. That's all you're basically grinding the injuries, and okay. then. From five to seven, it's constantly grinding injuries and adjusting the ownerships and adjusting the projections, you know, based on 
you know, a variety of things, but still the injuries are the prime thing that you're paying attention to the whole time. So you and, might kind of settle at 5.30 on a lineup you like, and then you're just sitting there, and then at 5.43, some news comes out, you adjust something, and then all of a sudden you got to rechange all the lineups. Correct. And So, so how that, do you, you do know, that? I'll, how do you, like, can you bulk cancel and bulk submit? Uh, so basically through Fantasy Cruncher, I'll, like, have my allocation, you know, my randomization numbers and all kinds of, things that they have through their tool set and then based on what's going on i will just adjust the projection and adjust the allocation based on that and then just hit a button and it will spit them all out diversified it takes about 20 seconds gotcha and i assume they charge for the service yeah i can't remember how much it is it might be like 50 dollars a month okay but something it's pretty small. cheap to be honest gotcha. yeah they okay. could charge a lot more yeah do you think that the guys at the high highest stakes are doing their own thing with that? Or you, do you think that your routine differs substantially from anyone who's kind of uh, an end boss, if you will, or is everyone kind of doing the same thing? It just depends how long you've been doing or how big your bankroll, how good you've run. I mean, I, I know Osimo talks about it in public. You know, it kind of seems like the exact same thing. You know, okay. he, he goes through the same process. He might ne not necessarily value other, other Tout's opinions as much as his own, uh, you know, with, whereas me, I'm just aggregating everybody together. But, yeah, I, I think it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Got a question here. Um, how do you backtest DFS as a question? Is that something that you're trying to do? Can you get previous um, salaries and previous lineups from the pool? Or is that not possible? You can, but it's really it's difficult. And you kind of need to have played in the contest in order to get it. And I would say it's probably... like it's more work than I think it's worth, if that makes sense. Yeah. It seems like it wouldn't even be really worth that much. I mean, it might yeah, be nice if you like built some automatic system and wanted to see if mm -hmm. it worked maybe, but yeah, it does sound like it'd be pretty hard. Yeah. I mean, and the issue with automation, especially in like what I just said with NBA, it's like, there's no way you're going to be able to automate the injury data. You of know, course. Cause if yeah. it's 655 and there's a tweet from the, the jazz beat writer that Rudy Gobert has coronavirus and the game's right. so it's like <laughs> nothing automated is going to really be able to react <laughs> to a tweet. You'd have to pull the tweet and then right. you know, it would just have so many levels to it. I mean, I'm sure you could do it, but fuck, right. I can't. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um, interesting. Any, what else do you want to talk about? Anything else? Um, I think you wanted to talk about Twitter. Um, Oh yeah. Um, do you use so Twitter? You I guess you're using a lot probably for monitoring injuries and beat writer stuff and coach speak, etc. Yeah, I am um, primarily for injury stuff and for you know late breaking information and that sort of thing. Twitter is the primary source. Without Twitter, everything would be a total fuck. Uh, it would be impossible to deal with, right? In NBA at least, and then. Uh, yeah, just that and, you know, communicating with other people, talking about sports. I feel like I've learned a lot from Twitter that I wouldn't have known otherwise. Um, yeah, I met my business partner on Twitter. So, you know, it's uh, it's been a real positive, I think. Do you, are most of the top DFS guys on Twitter and people are like, fuck, I had 61% on this guy and he finished second or he blew it or something. Is that common or people just kind of keep to themselves? Um, I'm, people do do it, you know, like, People, like, if somebody pops a million, they'll be, like, you know, post it and be, like, happy about it. But, you know, and, and every so often you'll see people bitching. But I, I feel like the top guys, a lot of us more so just don't – we don't talk about necessarily, like, how we did on a given night. Like, I definitely will, but it's not, like, a consistent thing. Yeah. Interesting. Um, let me see what else. It's nice. I feel like out of our podcast guests, you have – talked the um quickest and answered questions you know I mean, there's a lot of ums and hmm i'm not sure and stuff and this has kind of been like to the point you've got the answer to everything <laughs> um, i'm glad i'm glad <laughs> let me see what else um so in terms of the one-on-one -on -one stuff is that something you're never gonna do you would have to like have a totally different approach it sounds like or is that something that maybe you'll do if the gpps change the rules or get a little bit harder conceivably you could try and do that um I it seems like almost a different game picking off 
people that don't know what they're doing at low stakes and head to head is probably something that I could get involved with, but it's like, it takes a lot of work to figure out, you know, to put all those lineups out there and get people to take your contest. Cause a lot of people won't, won't engage with you based on your screen name, you know, and that sort of thing. But how do the two person, you. how do the two person contests work? Is it like DraftKings or FanDuel posts a hundred of them and they're all just open and anyone can join. And then once two people are in it locks, you make your own contest. Like you will be like, I will offer oh. 30, $5 head-to-heads and anybody that can take them that wants them, or you could be the person that's taking them. Okay. If that makes sense. And then can people you, can challenge you. Like can I'll you get, do more I'll than 150 that way? Pardon, say that again? Can you do more than 150 that way? If you're like, I'm going to oh, do yeah. $835 challenges. Those are all different contests. And so like, as far as like, you know, 150, it, it, that would be like just for the $8. Oh, like so I you can only have 150 in one pool. In one pool, yeah. Well, and some of them last. I think there's like a calculation. I think it's like about six thousand. If it's six thousand or more, you can only have one hundred fifty. Something like that. Okay, so you could, if there were a lot of big pools, you could have one hundred fifty in all of them. Correct. Like for football, like FanDuel, like I'll have like one hundred fifty in like eight different pools or something. Okay. In a in a in a given Sunday. Gotcha. So, are, who are the people then that post head to heads at the highest stakes? Aren't those just like automatically the end bosses? Um, yeah, I mean, it's the same guys that I referred to, and they oh, okay. all play gotcha. each other, and they all play each other. It doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> well, I guess someone's winning. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess they all just want to get more action down. Or they're all so confident in themselves that they think they can beat anybody. You know, I think that that might be part of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess if they're playing the big stakes, maybe they can. Right. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Um, I mean, I think that's all I got. I mean, I feel like you answered a million questions. I learned a ton about DFS. Um, awesome. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. Good time. No worries. That was uh, JBC. You can follow him on Twitter at MWPGT. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Man.